Today, however, we're going to look as we continue on that true happiness is possible through growing in Christ uh, to carefully choose the leaders you will follow. I want to show you the next uh, picture here, and you're, you're going to recognize Andy Reid. Who does he coach? Chiefs, Kansas City Chiefs. Who did he coach 10 years ago before the Chiefs? The Eagles. Isn't that phenomenal? So tonight, it's interesting that the Philadelphia Eagles, 10 years ago, uh, fired him, and, uh, and he, had done, he had had a good, you know, good season, I think, for 14 years with the Philadelphia Eagles, but uh, they fired him at that point, and uh, uh, not sure all the reasons that went into that. But as he was recently fired, two teams pursued Andy Reid to coach uh, their team. The Arizona Cardinals actually flew a plane out to, out to Philadelphia, and we're going to bring him back uh, to Phoenix to have an interview, hoping that he would become uh, their new head coach. However, before he ever got in the plane, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs sent their group of people and met Andy Reid in the airport and said, can we have three to four hours to interview you before you go to Arizona? He agreed. The three to four hours turned into about a nine-hour interview, and he never got on the plane to want to go to Arizona for the interview and has been coaching Kansas City Chiefs for the last 10 years. Now, the interesting thing, nine out of those 10 years, they've been in playoffs. They've uh, been to the Super Bowl four out of the last five years. They've won a Super Bowl. Uh, so for Patrick Mahomes, the, the, the quarterback, the 50 other players that make part of that team, it was very important that they chose to follow Andy Reid. You know, he's pictured here with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles owner, um, who just recently, in the last couple of days, came out and said, yes, it was a very difficult decision to let him go. I bet it was. <laughs> uh, and we'll see who prevails tonight. And I can only speak of his ability as a coach. I don't know how he was as a father or anything else. But athletically, those players, 50-plus players, I think there's 53 or so on the roster for the Kansas City Chiefs, and they chose to follow Coach Andy Reid, and uh, he's proven to be a pretty good coach to follow in that regard. Now, spiritually, we've got a decision that's much more important than that. Uh, in a few years, most of us will forget who wins tonight. I know I will. I enjoy watching football, but it's not something that I memorize the stats or, uh, or that I lose sleep over or cry over or anything like that. But spiritually speaking, the leaders that you choose to follow will have a huge impact on your life. Look with me, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. Carefully choose the leaders you'll follow. And first of all, imitate Christ-like examples. Imitate Christ-like examples. Philippians 3.17 says, Brothers, join in imitating according to the example you have in us. Now, up until this point, Paul has challenged the Philippian church to follow this type of example, to follow Christ-like examples. We need to imitate Christ-like examples in principle and purpose. In principle and purpose. In a few minutes, I'll, I'll show you or, or share with you some ways that you should not try to imitate uh, Christ-like examples. But first of all, yes, we do want to imitate them in principle and purpose. I mean, Paul said himself, he, he wanted people to, to see his life. And as he's writing from prison, he wanted people to rejoice in the Lord as he was rejoicing even in the midst of persecution. He rejoiced in verse 14 of Philippians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles open, you can look at that quickly. But it, he says, I'm glad that People are more bold to speak the word without fear because of my example. 
He challenged the Philippians to, to suffer for Christ's sake as he had. And then notice verses 29 and 30. It'll be up on the screen, Philippians 1, 29 and 30. And it says this. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So he, he says, listen, you can see that I'm in chains. You're going to suffer persecution too, but listen, be faithful. And, he, and he, all throughout the book he says, rejoice in the Lord through that. He wants people to follow his Christ-like example. He even gives the example of Timothy that we've looked at a few weeks ago in more detail. But in Philippians 2, 19 through 22, we see this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But notice this last phrase, verse 22 of Philippians 2. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I think it's crucial that we see in our, in our day of modern technology and a lot of helpful resources, don't get me wrong, of, of listening to other leaders and being challenged by them. That's great. But make sure that you're looking for leaders around you and other mature Christians that, that know you well and you know them well. You've been, you, maybe you've been in their home and you've spent time with them and they've been in your home and they've spent time with you. And in that type of relationship, a life-on-life type of discipleship, you can follow a Christ-like example. Paul says, you know how Timothy's been among you. So follow him. He has the, the desire, like none other, to, to lift up Christ and he's genuinely concerned for you. But then Paul also mentions Epaphroditus. We won't read all the verses uh, we're going to read verse 29 in a minute, but verses 25 through 30, he uses several v- words to describe his dear friend Epaphroditus. A brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, your messenger. It says he's been longing for you all, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. But then Paul says, so receive him. And this, this is the verse that should be on the screen, verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Paul's challenging the Philippians. Don't get sidetracked. There are many people who will call for your allegiance. There are many people who say, hey, follow me. Kind of go on the journey with me. But Paul says, make sure you're following Christ-like examples. Follow my example, Paul says, as I'm following Christ. Look at Timothy, who's been among you and has proven his worth. Think of Epaphroditus and how he's been a fellow soldier. He almost gave his life for the sake of the gospel. Paul says. But beyond all these, then he gives the example of Jesus Christ, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, which we read, and I'll just pick out some phrases from that passage. He emptied himself. He became a servant. He humbled himself. He was obedient to the point of death. We read that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But think about this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Paul says, okay, these are the examples. Myself, Timothy, Epaphroditus, but then above all, Jesus Christ, who's obedient to the point of death. And then Philippians 2, verse 5, he makes a challenge and he says, have this mind among yourselves. Or in essence, think this way. Follow this example. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours 
in Christ Jesus. But I want you to be careful. Look at number, number two. Do not or don't attempt to imitate Christ-like examples in personality and position. Don't imitate or attempt to imitate Christ-like examples in personality and position. As I look out and I see you, I think of some of you and the personality that you have and the different strengths and weaknesses that you have. And as you look up at me every Sunday, some of my weaknesses are, are glaring as you get to know me better. And, some, and you see some of my strengths at the same time. And you've gotten to know a little bit about my personality. But more so, I don't want you just to try to imitate my personality. I hope that as I lead and as others lead uh, in our congregation, as you have other spiritual mature Christians that lead you as well, that you will, lead, that you will follow them in principle and purpose, but not try to imitate their personality. There's a famous preacher years ago and um, had a Bible college, so there are many preacher boys who studied under his ministry, uh, but this preacher had a, a, a recurring cough. I mean, it was just part of a physical ailment that he had, so when he, often when he would preach, you know, he'd say, oh, God's going to do this, and Jesus wants to save you. Huh. And you, you can look in Matthew chapter 5, and huh. And he, that just was part of his preaching. It was a physical ailment that he had. But some of the preacher boys who were trained under him, instead of just trying to imitate you know, what he believed about Jesus Christ and what the Bible taught, as they began to preach, they said, turn with me to John chapter 5, huh, and you're going to see that Jesus huh, loves you. Okay, is that really what Paul says in imitation of, of Christ-like examples? No. And God doesn't want you to be David Huffman, and David Huffman shouldn't try to be Samuel Thielen or Josh Jaggard or Emily Morris or anybody, anybody else in the room. I should not try to imitate your personality, and you shouldn't try to imitate mine because you have a unique journey that God has called you to run. There is a race that only you should run. Audrey's running track this season for Bob Jones at university. She had a track meet yesterday. She, yesterday morning, she said, sent a message and said, would you pray for me? I raced today at 2.30. There were probably scores of athletes who raced yesterday. But there was one race that Audrey was focused on, and that was when her name and when she was supposed to be at the starting line and, and take off at the sound of the pistol. That was her race. You have a spiritual race that I don't have to run. And God wants you to run that race, and he wants you to follow others' examples in principle and in purpose. But don't be discouraged if, you, if your personality is not the same. Because God will use you and wants to use you in ways that that other person can't be used. And don't be discouraged when you may even not even have the same position, and, and maybe your methods are a little bit different. That is okay. That is in part of God's perfect design, and he wants you to follow the purpose and principles, but not the personality. Galatians 5, verses 25 and 26, Paul talks to the Galatian believers, and notice what he says in these two verses. Live by the Spirit. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Okay, so that is who, as we see other people living in the Spirit, and as the Holy Spirit lives within us and guides us into, in the truth, as we imitate Christ-like examples, may we keep in step with the Spirit. Occasionally, Michael and I will uh, you know, walk around the neighborhood or we'll be out walking, and sometimes I'll, I'll look 
you know, beside me, and I notice that Michael's trying to keep up with my steps. And so then I'll just walk a little bit faster, you know, because I, I just try to, and he'll go, Dad! But he, he tries to keep up in, in step. You know, and spiritually, God doesn't say, listen, keep in step with David Huffman, or keep in step with Sean Wu, or keep in step, you know, with Sue Huey. No, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Live by the Spirit. And then notice what it continues on to say. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another. And then notice, envying one another. I should never envy any of you. And you should never envy me. Because God has given each of us specific talents and abilities. And a spiritual gift, at least, if not more than one. That he wants you to live for his glory. So in all this, we need to remember to... Not imitate Christ-like examples in personality, but in principle and in purpose. Second, look at avoid counterfeit examples. So yes, in in a positive way, follow Christ-like examples. But then in a warning, Paul says, avoid counterfeit examples. Be discerning. Think through. Don't be quick to follow anybody. Avoid counterfeit examples. Philippians 3.18, those who are enemies of the cross... It says in this verse, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I appreciate Paul's spirit in that Paul is not, he's not on a witch hunt. He's not trying to to lift himself up. He's not trying to say, hey, the Philippian church is the only church in the world that knows the gospel, and everybody else is is silly and wicked. He says, no, I, I have tears. I'm very sorrowful for those who are enemies of the cross. I don't rejoice in having to call them out. And it is very sorrowful to me and saddening to me. But he says, listen, avoid the enemies of the cross. The first part of this chapter, of chapter 3, Paul calls out those who are in essence saying, you need to be circumcised if you're going to be truly saved. He even calls them, he says, listen, those, they're, they're evildoers. They just mutilate the flesh. An external sign of the Old Testament was still being taught as part of salvation. And Paul says, beware. You need to be very careful that you don't follow enemies of the cross. Now it's important to remember that not all enemies of the cross will deny the cross altogether. But all enemies of the cross will deny the the sufficiency of the cross. So some may say, yeah, Jesus Christ is part of the equation, but you also need to do this ritual and that ritual and do these works. So not all enemies of the cross will just come out and outright say, no, you don't need Jesus at all. But all enemies of the cross will deny the sufficiency of the cross. Jesus is enough. We don't have to add anything to him. That's why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Secondly, we need to avoid those who are headed for destruction. Philippians 3.19 says, Their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. Philippians 3.19. Throughout the book of Acts, we see an interesting um, description of those who follow Jesus Christ and really the whole concept of of Christ-centered biblical Christianity. And, And several times throughout the book of Acts, it's called the way. The way. Now, I haven't had very many people recently ask me, hey, Pastor David, um, are you of the way? (laughs) That's just not kind of in our common terminology now, but it was in the book of Acts. Yeah, I'm a follower of the way. 
And it very well could come from the phrase that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. These who were evildoers, these who were were teaching really a a way along with Christ, but in addition to Christ, Paul's saying their end or their way is destruction. Avoid them. Follow the way. You need to keep your eyes focused on Jesus Christ as our prime example. And then others who follow, follow him as well imitate their example, but avoid those whose end is destruction. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, the Lord in his ministry makes it very clear that not everyone, everyone who calls Lord, Lord will enter into heaven. In fact, he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now I want you to catch something very important. In this passage, Christ did not say, I knew you for a time, but then you lost it and I don't know you anymore. No, Jesus Christ is talking about a group of people here who were never genuinely saved who never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. They may have done things in the name of Christ, but it was for the wrong motivation. It was not because of a relationship they had with him. And Jesus says, to those, I'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. We're also to avoid those who have confused their priorities and purpose. Notice Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19. Their end is destruction, Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, it's interesting. Their mind, you know, is, or their God is their belly, it says. This may refer to those who were still trying to follow the strict uh, pharisaical dietary laws. It could refer to that. It may refer to other things. I know they didn't have, you know, the golden crowds of the day, so I don't think it was necessarily, I don't think he was targeting um, um, just, you know, gluttons. Not that all who go to golden crowd are gluttons, okay? But, uh, but I don't think it was just that. It was their God is their belly, and I think it may have been a reference to if you think that you're going to earn favor with God by your strict dietary measures and by how closely you follow, you know, the Old Testament stuff, you've missed the point. It says, then they glory in their shame. They glory in their shame. And I think this could be a reference also to those who were saying, no, you've got to be circumcised to know Jesus Christ you know, uh, as your Savior. You have to be circumcised. And Paul says, listen, that's, that's shameful to, to teach that. Jesus has done enough. He's done all the work. And there's kind of two extremes that we see still today. And we saw this, we see this even in the Old Testament. Those who to one extreme try to to follow, you know, even additional habits and traditions, even beyond Scripture, in trying to earn favor with God. And then to to the other stream, you see those like in in 1 Corinthians. In fact, let's look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 and 2. I think it'll be up on the screen. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And then notice what Paul says. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Paul says this is not a reason to glory. 
This is not a reason to be glad. This is not a reason for you in the Corinthian church to say, yeah, hey, you're you're living in sin in that way. Great. Man, we we tolerate that. In fact, we're going to celebrate. Paul says, no, that is shameful. That should not be part of someone who is living for Christ. We still have those two extremes today. Those who who focus maybe on some of the minors and even some of the things of the man-made traditions and say, you've got to do this to earn favor with God. But then at the other stream, you have those who say, no, all liberty, however you want to live. Come and live as you will, but as long as you just say Jesus, as long as you, you know, just kind of give him a nod every once in a while, in the two extremes, the Bible speaks out very clearly against So we see, first of all, the unbiblical perspective of the law and those who were touting circumcision and things. But then in the the Corinthian church, until to this day also, we see an unbiblical perspective of liberty. Notice also Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. Paul says to another group of believers in this letter, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now he answers his own question. He says, By no means. How absurd. He says, by no means. How can can we, who died to sin, still live in it? And may we never fool ourselves to think, oh yeah, man, I, I can just, I can glory in my shame. And I can just lay my head on my pillow at night and sleep like a baby. Because after all, you know, um, everything is just covered in grace, and I can live as I, as I will. Is everything covered in grace? Yes, but God wants to change us. He doesn't want us just to stay the same. And so Paul warns, he says, avoid those. Don't follow those who have confused their priorities. They've confused their purpose. So as they try to experience God, but also experience unbridled liberty. And I, and I say this, and again, I say this with sadness that many, many Christians today in 2023 are living in that fashion. Yeah, I want God to save me. I want my eternity to be secure. But I should should live differently. I mean, there's some things that I have to sacrifice. There's some things that I should say no to. Yeah, that's part of taking up your cross, as Jesus said, daily and following me. That's part of what Paul says, listen, I'm, I'm persecuted and you're going to be persecuted too. That's part of it. It doesn't fit into a lot of ways in our, in our American culture and what we try, you know, the comfort and the pleasures and the leisures, but that's part of following Jesus Christ. Before Kim and I could drive on our own, we dated in high school and before we could drive on our own, we often would catch a ride with a friend of ours who's a little bit older, already had his license. Uh, very, very nice guy. Uh, I, I ran track with him for a while. And we would do, go, you know, do activities after church on occasion. And then, you know, we went uh, off to Wisconsin for college and then later Brazil. And he kind of went to the other side of the country, California, and began to seek uh, a future in acting. And to our sadness, one night, uh, I still remember this evening, one night in Brazil, Uh, He posted, we kind of lost track of each other, hadn't really stayed in touch, but uh, one night on Facebook, he posted uh, that he got married, but he had married another man. And not only that, but in the middle of the picture, very prominent, there was a minister in holding a Bible who had done the ceremony. 
And I thought, how sad. How sad that one, you know, that, that our friend who has unfortunately made a very, very bad decision, not pleasing Christ. I reached out to him. I said, listen, I, I called him by name. I said, listen, I'm here if you ever want to talk. I know we haven't talked for quite a while, but if I can help in any way. I, 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 we both grew up together. We know a lot of things about the Bible, and I want to help you in any way. But what saddened me even more was that a minister could be happy to do the ceremony and hold the Bible as if, man, this is a great thing. It's not a great thing. That does not please Christ. And as this happens more and more, and as we are challenged more and more to celebrate the things of the world, may we be reminded, listen, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame, and then notice the last phrase, with minds set on earthly things. With minds set on earthly things. You know, Paul challenges the believers not to follow those who, who have their minds set on earthly things. And this can, this can happen even to, to a church who, who is sound biblically. We can easily begin to get lured by earthly things. Our worship can be sometimes more focused on performance than on the person of Jesus Christ. Rather than, rather than being the church in every aspect of our lives, we can be tempted to just be at church occasionally and not live it out the rest of the time. Instead of elevating the name of Jesus Christ, we can begin to think, no, I want to elevate my name, and I, I want the fame of David Huffman, and you put your name in the place, or of One Hope Church. No, first of all, we want to elevate Jesus Christ. We don't want to have our minds set on earthly things. As we finish this chapter in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, another very evident way that we will grow in Christ and that we can have true happiness is by joyfully living as a heavenly citizen here on earth. Joyfully live as a heavenly citizen here on earth. In Philippians 3.20, we see that our heavenly citizenship is exclusive. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Currently, about half of the world's countries allow some form of dual citizenship. Um, if you're a dual citizen by chance, would you raise your hand if you are a dual citizen? Anyone? Okay, Nathan, awesome. Dual citizen, Germany? Fantastic, good. So Nathan's dual citizen, Germany and, and America. Christina and Michael aren't in the room. They could have uh, raised their hands and Audrey's uh, away. The, she also could have raised her hand as a dual citizen of Brazil and the United States of America. So about 50%, almost half of the nations in the world, allow for dual citizenship. Some, you can even purchase a citizenship. So if you have an extra 400K, $400,000, and you want to become a citizen per se of like Turkey, you can, for an investment of about $400,000, become a citizen as well of Turkey. Any takers? I'll take the form, you know, the money afterwards. How about that? Okay, I don't think so. That's not available, though. Number one, there are no dual citizenships available for heaven. 1 John 2, 15-17, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is of the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides 
forever. So in the passage, we see a very stark contrast. We don't see the option that, yeah, we can be full citizens of the worldly system and also a full citizen of heaven. No, it says your citizenship is in heaven. That is exclusive. Are we here temporarily? Yes. God has sent us into the world, John uh, chapter 15, or John 17, rather, the, the high priestly prayer. We are sent into the world, but we are not of the world. We're to make a difference. We're to, to advance the gospel of Christ, but our citizenship is exclusive. As I already mentioned, Christina, Audrey, and Michael are dual citizens. There's many privileges with that. There's also, also some uh, responsibilities with that. Um, for many years, we, as we traveled back and forth to Brazil, during the 18 years that we lived there and uh, would often fly in and out of Atlanta, I had a folder that I would keep all the documents. And at one point, for many years, I had 10 passports for the seven people in our family. And so as I would come up to the counter, I would kind of open that up, and I'd just like spill out, you know, 10 passports. And often the check-in person would kind of look like, oh, wow, here we go. Like, okay, you know what passports do you want? Here, Brazilian, American, here we go. And it, Because we had to have both. We had to have the three Brazilian passports for Christina, Audrey, and Michael, and we had to have the three American passports for them as well, as, rest, as, as well as the rest of the others. Now, the rest of us, myself and Kim and, and Jessica, Mary was born during a brief stay back in the States, so she unfortunately lost out on the dual citizenship. But for a while, and you get this, for a while, we were permanent residents. But we lost that. So not quite so permanent. huh? It came to a point where you know, we weren't able to renew that permanent residence. So it wasn't permanent if you had to renew it. It wasn't. But while we were in Brazil, I, I understood a little bit of the tension of, yes, I'm living in Brazil, and I love Brazil, and I embraced a lot about Brazilian culture, and we spoke Portuguese, and we ate Brazilian food much of the time, and enjoyed a lot of the things of the country, but I could not vote in Brazil. In fact, I needed to vote, still vote, in the United States of America, and so I would vote by absentee ballot and send it back. The majority of our financial partners were based in the United States of America. So for every four years, and sometimes even more frequently, we would travel back and visit those churches and talk with those individuals and give a report and try to recruit other people to come back. So we lived kind of this, sometimes it seemed like kind of this dual life. But there's no dual citizenship available for heaven. And God wants every one of us, as we sing today, yes, we believe in God the Father, and we believe in the resurrection, and we believe in Jesus Christ. Well, live that way. Live in light of the fact that you are a heavenly citizen. Yes, we're here. And we, and we need to, but we need to think and be focused on what is ahead of us, and how should that change how I'm living now? How should my future citizenship change how I live now? Think with me also, John chapter 5 in verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. See the two citizenships there? At one point, we were of the, of the world or family of Satan. But when we accepted Jesus Christ, when he gloriously redeemed us, then we passed from death to life. I don't know a whole lot about nursing. I know very little, especially compared to Rachel, who's in our midst, and Christina, who's a nurse now. But I do know one thing. You cannot be half dead and half alive. You're either dead or you're alive. 
That's just the way it is. And spiritually speaking, we can't be a a half-citizen of the world and a half-citizen of heaven. God wants us to be focused and understand, yes, we're to live in light of our heavenly citizenship. Two, there's only one kingdom worth building. There's only one kingdom worth building. Our citizenship is in heaven, and that's the only kingdom worth building. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, no one can serve two masters, Christ says, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And this is a hard phrase, folks. It's difficult in the limitations that we have as humans to sometimes understand how do we live this out, but it says clearly you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. Now, is money necessary? And I want your help here. Is money necessary? Some of you are kind of in doubt here. Let me, let me ask, is money necessary? Yes, it is. You know, the electric company, they kind of enjoy getting paid for the electrical service that they offer. The water company, they expect some money every now and then to continue to put water to come out of your shower. Food on the table, you know, last I checked, Aldi and Publix and Kroger, uh, they don't let you in Walmart. You can't just come up and say, listen, I love God a lot. I don't really need a whole lot of money because I love God. Can I just take this food home? Most of the time, you're going to look at you like, go pray more, buddy, because you, you need money here or a credit card or something. Money's important. But the idea is what is our motivation and why do we work for the money that we get? And then how do we use the money that we have? How are we stewards of what God has given us? Matthew reminds us the words of Christ. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot have a divided citizenship and philosophy of life. In the same chapter of Matthew chapter 6, but later in the the chapter, verses 33 and 34. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. But I want to ask you, what kingdom are you building right now? What kingdom are you seeking after? What lights your fire? What gives you motivation? What makes you passionate? What type of kingdom are you building right now? There's only one that's worth building, and that's the kingdom of God. Can you excel as a businessman? Absolutely. Should you try to do your best in education? Yes. Should you just satisfy to be kind of a mediocre athlete if you have the ability to to excel even more? No. God wants you to do your best, but in all of those pursuits, may we be reminded, I'm here temporarily, so everything that I do and all of my pursuits, I should be passionate in how this can help me fulfill my citizenship in heaven and my true purpose of my time here on earth. You know, many people have spent a lot of their life building a completely different kingdom, saved and unsaved alike. And unfortunately, there are many examples. We wouldn't have to take long, and during growth groups, you'll actually have the opportunity to think about people, athletes, singers, businessmen, politicians, unfortunately, even many ministers of the gospel who got sidetracked and they began to build their kingdom instead of the kingdom of Christ, and how they fell hard. Remember the story of building your house on the rock or building your house on the sand? You're going to look at the passage in growth groups and discuss that a little bit. When you spend your whole life and you build your house on the sand and you keep trying to top, put stuff on top and build it stronger, eventually it will fall. 
because that's not God's intention. That is not the design. Mark 8, 34 through 38 sums it up and says this, In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I pray that individually you are passionate and will seek to build the kingdom of God. I pray that your family would work together and that the goal that's recognized in your family, that, that you would say, yes, we are working together to build God's kingdom and not just our family comfort and kingdom. I pray that One Hope Church, as we continue to grow and try to impact this area, that we wouldn't get sidetracked and get so torn away that, yes, we want to build One Hope Kingdom. I want to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that we would be reminded that it's so easy, as part of our sinfulness, even though we see examples, people who've taken their life after they've had all the riches and all the, the awesome things of the world that can be fun and can be used for God's glory, but if they're in the wrong motivation, some who have all of those things, some who are the most talented, some who are the beautiful, you know, very beautiful and very strong, and we know of examples and can think of, of people who have taken their own life because it wasn't enough. But yet in our sinfulness, sometimes we think, but yet I can build my own kingdom in a different way. It may not have worked for him or her or them or that group, but I think I've got a better way. And I'm, I'm gonna, I want Jesus to kind of be part of that kingdom, but I'm going to build the rest of my kingdom as I think that I can make this work. You're just lying to yourself. It's just the deceitfulness and it's another lie of Satan. John 8, 44 says Satan's the father of lies. So we need to be reminded that our heavenly citizenship and our, the one kingdom of heaven is the only one worth building. We see next our heavenly citizenship should be transformative. It should be transformative. Because of this fact that's well proven it should be transformative. Why? Because of Christ's presence. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the first and primary reason that our citizenship in heaven should be transformative or should change our life. Christina, it's interesting how your different children have things that they enjoy and, and watch and do. One of Christina's enjoyments that she likes to watch is um, special return visit videos of military uh, servicemen and women who come back. She likes to watch those videos. It's just, it's just something she enjoys in, in the surprise visits. Well, back in 2012, a friend of ours, an acquaintance, Caleb Queen, came back from Afghanistan. And they posted a video of his family waiting for him to come off the bus. And the whole family was there, and they had signs, and the kids were there, his wife was there, his parents were there. And you know, they weren't quite excited about any other man or woman that came off the bus, but when Caleb Queen came off the bus, 
then they started yelling and hugging and kissing and crying. And it was a big deal because they knew that on that bus, Caleb was coming off and they couldn't wait to accept him. Now imagine if that morning, Caleb's wife, you know, didn't show up and just sent him maybe a message and says, hey, I'm so sorry, but I had a nail appointment. I couldn't make it. There was an opening and I had to take advantage, you know, that nail appointment. Or maybe his parents said, you know, we had a really busy day yesterday. And so please forgive us. Maybe come over for dessert tonight, but we're going to kind of miss this opportunity. Imagine that. But what about us? We know that our citizenship is in heaven. We know that Jesus Christ is preparing a place for us. Does that transform how we live? Does that dominate our thoughts and our perspective and our philosophy of life? Well, it should because of Christ's presence. C.S. Lewis said this, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. And I dare say that that is so true of many of us. We don't think much about our heavenly citizenship, and so we become very ineffective in our current. Next, we also need to remember that his citizenship, our citizenship should be transformative because of Christ's promise. Philippians 3.21, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. One person that I am very aware that is missing today in our midst is my wife, Kim Huffman. But she had a, a, a minor surgery Thursday. She's recovering well. Thank you for your prayers. Um, and I think she's joining us even online and wish that she could be here. But because of the surgery, it's just a, a, a very a recent reminder that we live in lowly bodies. That we face things that we have to go to a doctor and we have to go you know, to a physician sometimes and maybe even a surgeon and, and get things done. But the promise that at one point... In the future, as we look to the hope that he will change our glorious, our, our lowly body into a glorious body. That is a promise that will help us in the lowest days, the darkest nights, as we face temptation even, as we face hardship. We can be reminded, God, you have a purpose and a plan, and it's worth living it out. Think with me about some statements read this recent an article, it's very challenging to me. In fact, it was an article posted by one of the moms here at Northwest Classical Academy who recently went through brain surgery, and it's been, I think she's up in the double digits of how many surgeries she's had in her life. A very difficult life, even as a young mom. But she posted this article, and as I read through it, I was challenged by many of the statements, and one was the next one. It says this, Untroubled days are a gift. They're also a hazard. Without great care, the most peaceful days make Bible reading feel less urgent, prayer less desperate, sin less dangerous, Satan less active, Jesus less precious, and spirituality less, well, real. So can we thank God for good days? Yeah. Man, thank you, God, for the good days. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I enjoy sunny days. Don't you? Especially right now. Yes, we, I enjoy sunny days. And I enjoy even symbolically sunny days in my life. But as Scott Hubbard said, it is very easy in those easy times, in the good times, in the high points of life, 
to not remember, boy, I need God. I need to talk to him. I'm dependent on his power in my life. But Christ has promised that he will get us, he'll give us the grace that we need. Lastly, we can be, our, it should be transformative because of Christ's power. Notice Philippians 3, verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things unto himself. Charles Spurgeon said this, It is a good thing to be without a trouble, but it is a better thing to have a trouble and know how to get grace enough to bear it. Well, that's true. And all throughout Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, we read of men and women who God did not spare hardship, give you enough grace to help you through this. Our life is no different, folks. We're not special that we're going to miss all of that. And some of you say, Pastor, tell me about it. I know. I've faced many hardships in my life. But don't get discouraged. God's grace is enough. And he wants to help you through it. A couple more phrases that the article and I felt were very challenging. And you'll see on the screen here. Without grace, burdens break us. With grace, they bend us toward God. Then he goes on to say, he says, what we so desperately need and what others so desperately need from us is not a life free from trouble, but a love for Jesus that lives and thrives in the midst of it. And those of you who have experienced great sadness and hardship and difficulty, but you've experienced God's grace, you could, be able to, you could stand up this morning and say, I have experienced this firsthand. And because you've experienced that, and because I've experienced that, you know what? The world experiences it too. And they need to see people who say, I know Jesus Christ, and I, and I, I know one hope of Je- the one hope of Jesus. You do? Y- yes, we do. Okay, then when you're living through difficult times, then depend on God's grace and lean into and bend towards God so that all those around you can see, yes, it makes a difference. They talk about Jesus, but not just on the good days. They live it even on the worst of days and still have joy because of how much grace and transforming power God has. A song that we've sung in the past, and I want to close with this. It's a super challenging song to me. It's by Laura Story, and she says this. We pray for blessings. That's not wrong. We pray for peace, comfort for family. Think about it. You know, oftentimes when we pray for the missionaries, what do we pray for? Lord, help them, give them peace, keep them safe. Comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while, you hear each spoken need. Yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? And what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? The song continues, We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear, and we cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love. As if every promise from your word is not enough, and all the while you hear each desperate plea and long that we'd have faith to believe. When friends betray us, And when darkness seems to win, we know that pain reminds us, this heart, that this is not, this is not our home. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning?